The R&B Solutionist Thinking Podcast Series for the creative minds with a passion for possibility. Hosted by Bruce Whitfield. Today's Solutionist is a former chairman of ESCOM, but he'll be the first one to tell you he was chairman of ESCOM when it worked, when it ran surpluses, when it was well managed. He also has worked in the corporate sector for many years, for many of South Africa's biggest companies, including becoming chairman of Nedbank, in which he was an empowerment investor. And recently, my alma mater made him a doctor of law, Dr. Ruel Jethro Koza. At one stage, in fact, I was a consultant to Federale False Balachangs and had to polish up a little bit on my Afrikaans uh, adjectives <laughs> in order to be, to be relevant. I'm Bruce Whitfield and you are listening to Solutionist Thinking, brought to you by RMB. But you've got other names. Nsobakane, Mbambai. Yes. I mean, these are the names of destroyers. These yeah. are the names of... Powerful, strong, traditional African names. Correct. Centered around destruction, but that's not you, is it? Centered around destruction, i.e. destructing evil, destroying evil. Oh, destroying so evil. So these, these were okay. heroes. They were not villains. And if you go back a little uh, further, you will uh, get a hold of another guy called Mabarule, the guy with the, with the, the, the big-footed guy who uh, left uh, a legacy amongst in the in the Kosa clan uh, as well as Magigwani Wakakosa in Mozambique who was almost invincible uh, were it not for betrayal by the by his own one of his own the portuguese would have had serious difficulty in vanquishing the uh, blacks or in particular the shangans of Mozambique your history is very important to you. I mean, your legacy, your, 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 your ancestry is very important to you. You know it well. You talk about it extensively. Correct. We've, we've got to know, don't we, where we come from. Uh, if you don't know where you come from, chances are you, don't, you would not know how you came to be where you are. And if you don't know where you are, chances are you'll have serious difficulty defining your sense of destiny from which derives your sense of purpose and mission as well as vision. So it is very, very important that you uh, have a sense of your history, uh, what actually begot you and brought you here, in order to, for you to be able to have a, a proper and thorough situational analysis, and on the basis of that, be able to project into the future, uh, understanding, though, that the future is not what it used to be, the future is very, very different. You're going to deal with complexity. But if you know where you are, chances are you will understand what is likely to happen and you'll be better prepared for it. What is your purpose? What is Royal Causa's purpose? I believe it could be summarized into uh, uh, an earnest effort to make a positive difference in the national interest. Okay, a positive difference in the national interest. And you've been very focused on that. I mean, through all your leadership writings, and you've written extensively on leadership, you're a big believer in this principle of servant leadership, leading by example, creating an environment in which others can thrive. I mean, it's what you've built a corporate career out of. Yeah, very much so. Um, servant leadership, perhaps um, redefined a lot more positively as at-your-service leadership. Because servants generally do other people's biddings. 
even servant leadership might be doing other people's bidding. But uh, at your service leadership, I believe, is what uh, it essentially is about. That is uh, extremely important uh, from where I sit, whether you're talking about corporate governance, which I've spent a fair amount of time in, or you're talking about uh, um strategy planning uh, by consulting strategy for 16 years uh, or you're talking about uh, business leadership I consulted in that uh, for virtually all of the major South African corporations including you know your Jewish ones your English ones and your Africans ones at one stage in fact I was a consultant to federal false balachangs and I had to polish up a little bit on my Africans uh, adjectives <laughs> in order to be to be relevant so yes I mean that has been um, the challenge of my life but uh, as uh, I grow a little older I try to diversify a little bit in certain respects, a frustrated musician. So I've had to go into music production to compensate for that frustration. I uh, look at the vast volume of work that you have done over the years, the number of companies you've worked for, your passion for choral music, your passion for governance and leadership. How have you packed it all in? I think uh, to a large extent, it also goes back to my upbringing. I was brought up by a grandfather who believed in industry or industriousness. Uh, his uh, guiding principle was that um, uh, rest is something that you earn by dint of being tired. That if you rest without being tired, you are in fact not resting, you're indolent. So that value system was built into me that effectively said, uh, unless you're really tired, uh, continue working. So as a result, I tried to pack uh, 12 to 14 hours of work into uh, the average day. I'm not saying that I don't rest. I do rest, but uh, that would tend to be the dominant uh, feature of um, my application. Uh, the idea being to exhaust myself almost totally before I make my transition to eternity. You're a big proponent of the principle of Ubuntu, and lots of people pay lip service to Ubuntu. I think you've lived the principle of Ubuntu. I am because you are. Um, that principle of Ubuntu, have we lost it as South Africa? But there are those who uh, actually uh, purport to uh, have uh, incorporated into, into their lifestyle and philosophy but largely for to abuse it and uh, isolate uh, aspects of it like respect for the elders, respect for those who are in leadership, even if they are not in real leadership, but in misleadership. But in reality, if you look at the basic tenets of that, which would include integrity, which would include caring, which would include uh, a propensity to share, which would include a propensity to be community-orientated, in other words, communalism as opposed to communism, and so on and so forth. I believe the uh, uh, philosophy of Ubuntu or the life view that is Ubuntu would actually uh, do a great deal for us as uh, a nation as we serve in the national interest and insisting on the national interest being our ultimate boss, not some individuals.
Mm. I mean, we, there's Tuma Mina, this idea of send me, um, Sir Ramaphosa's rallying cry in his State of the Nation address just weeks after um, taking over as ANC president and then managing to uh, to secure the presidency of the country. Are we headed towards an era of greater Ubuntu, this greater sense of of communalism in South Africa? I, I should imagine so. Uh the presidency of Cyril uh, Ramaphosa, I think, is as good as any potential presidency that we could have at this historical conjuncture to deliver on that particular score. Uh, if you look at his history, uh, he has been playing leadership roles, uh, and in each one of those acquitted himself commendably. Uh, even as a student, he was uh, a fellow student of mine at the uh, University of Limpopo, two years my junior. Uh, I think he came to Teflop in 1972. I got there in 1970. Um, also, part of the bearing to what you might consider to be a, a profile that is largely incorruptible would be his Christianity. But both, of, both of us were Christian practitioners at the time uh, out there. So all of these, I think, have a bearing to his value system. So the Tumamina uh, is the Tumamina thrust is essentially a, a, a particularly good dimension to saying to South Africans, you know, I have a contribution to make, a positive contribution to make. Do send me. The basis of your faith, the basis of your principles, the basis of your leadership beliefs is traditional it comes from a deep rooted place your grandfather it comes from the example that you were set as a young man do you think that we've as a society lost that vision lost the plot on that in substantial measure i think we have lost that uh, a good number of parents in my observation don't spend time with their children uh, grounding them in uh, uh, an ethical base in a value system that um, uh, is, um, as, 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 if, if you like, you know, uh, positive. And that is very, very important. A good number of our teachers, because socialization, you know, spreads or extends from the family into the schooling system. Uh, if you look at some of uh, what the associations, that are associations of teachers, that should actually be extremely exemplary. Take Satu, for instance. Uh, you would not be able to sing pra- songs of praises about them like uh, you used to, even with the Tuatas of the apartheid era, uh, teachers who actually saw teaching as a calling, not as a position for self-enrichment, not as a position to merely hold down a job, but who, who saw it as a, a responsibility base for nation-building. But South Africa's corporate sector has barely covered itself in glory either. And you've worked with so many South African business leaders, with so many large corporations. When you saw the extent of state capture and the complicity of some large companies, South African companies, in this process of state capture, what did it do to your sense of all of the time you have spent personally dealing with the king codes and corporate governance and writing many tens of thousands of words on leadership? Did it feel at any point as if you've been talking to an empty room? Not necessarily, but it certainly did make one cringe 
Um, the whether you're talking about major corporations that have gone transnational from a South African base, I'm not going to mention names, or you're talking about uh, um, audit firms that um, have had a fantastic reputation over the years. All of those have been quite a disappointment, uh, almost in the mold of an Enron, which mm-hmm. is a major destructive force, which was initially very, very exemplary. So there is a sense in which you uh, lament that particular state of affairs. But having said that, there are probably more major corporations that uh, behave, more major corporations that are very, very exemplary, whether you're talking about those in uh, pharmaceuticals. I can talk about pharmaceutical companies with some measure of uh, uh, expertise, having been there as a chairman of um, the one LexoSmithKline. Whether you're talking about those in banking, um, our banking sector in very large measure is as exemplary as, um, you know, any banking sector anywhere in the world could be. Uh, I'm not saying they are not without pimples, but they certainly um, are not unsightly in a manner that would make you feel uh, uncomfortable. And and so one could go on. Um, the mining sector uh, may have uh, had their mistakes. But there was a time when uh, um, that as an industry was very, very exemplary in terms of the technology and in terms of being at the forefront, even in approaching the um, AMC in exile, they were pioneers. So we, unfortunately, uh, the few uh, misbehaving corporations that we have uh, had to witness over the past few years are like uh, unsightly pimples on a, on a, on a Mona Lisa. And, and, and more often than not, it is the pimple you focus on, yeah. where, whereas, in fact, uh, by and large, uh, the face may be the wholesome. Your work in governance, do you feel that South Africa remains a global bastion of governance? I just One looks at Steinhoff, one looks at the, the corporate failings, one looks at the, the way in which KPMG, for example, allowed itself to be manipulated and used uh, in relation to the state capture project. All of these things. Is governance still at the core of what we believe as South Africa? Can we get back to a point where people look towards South Africa as a bastion of hope and optimism and relegate our pessimism as a nation to another grade? If you stop hoping, you die. And I'll continue to hope. And my sense is that all of those that we have uh, referred to, uh, where corporate governance is concerned, we uh, continue to be in the, uh, on the cutting edge uh, if you look at the work that um, uh, a person like Mervyn King has done by way of introducing cutting-edge corporate governance codes and uh, behavior and philosophies and uh, focusing a lot more on challenges like sustainability, yeah. focusing a lot more on uh, the world of uh, governance, understanding that there is no such thing as the shareholder being the dominant stakeholder uh, and focusing on stakeholder management, introducing that to the world of governance worldwide, whether it's in Europe or in America or in uh, uh, Australia, we are at the cutting edge. So the impact of uh, the King Codes, particularly King 4, no, King 3 and King 4, and uh, be happily for me, I was deputizing for him, and he was my deputy uh, as president. 
So I've learned quite a bit from somebody whose uh, thought processes in governance are the tip of the spear. Hmm. Uh, And this was recognized by no less a person by Cadbury before he passed on. He actually said, now even Britain can defer to uh, the King Code in South Africa. So there is a sense in which um, my hope is not totally unfounded. And as I said, um, if um, 80% of the companies, of the corporations behave and 20% misbehave, it is uh, from, it is those that uh, are known for their misdemeanors and even bigger sins committed that you'll focus as opposed to the rest that is in fact uh, as wholesome as can be. We can focus on the negatives. We can choose, however, to see the opportunities brought by social change, political change. How do we make the South Africa of the future a fairer place for everybody to live in? I believe there are uh, many, many challenges. Um, some of these would include genuine transformation where South Africans of goodwill, black, white, uh, colored, Asian, actually uh, take it upon themselves to transform. Our white compatriots must understand that uh, uh, apartheid was not just politics of uh, oppression and suppression. Uh, More importantly, actually, apartheid was politics of exploitation, politics of exclusion. So we have to strive for an inclusive thrust uh, on what it is we want to do for our political economy. My white compatriots, and I happen to be a farmer and uh, I work with them and I try to infuse them with a, a new value system, must understand that where land distribution is skewed, we got to be genuinely going back to making sure that we correct that. Fortunately, we do have a constitution that uh, provides for that. The legislators have got to find ways of fleshing that out so that we can actually have it in practice. So transformation, whether you're talking about transportation, transformation at the political level or at the economic level or generally socially, very, very important. And that must be undergirded by an education system that cares about this generation and future generations. Uh, Education that is predicated on a sound value system. Education that is actually dedicated to optimizing opportunities for the current generation and for future generations. Education that effectively says we must think generationally. We should not consume seed capital, such as uh, some of our political leadership tends to do with their looting. Uh, It is seed capital that they are consuming. And without seeds, wholesome seeds, the nation will perish. The nation will have no future. You are a farmer, and farmers by their very nature have to be optimists. You have to believe that the rain will come, that the pests will stay away, that there will always be a market for your produce. You have to, by nature, be an optimist. You have to, by nature, be an optimist to be a music producer in a world which is being so disrupted. You're you're overseeing the composition. Your brother, I think, composed 850 choral songs. My brother, yes. And you're almost doing that as a legacy project to your brother as well, which is an extraordinary additional string to your bow, if I dare use that analogy. Um, (laughs) What is it about that that sort of helps you center yourself in 
a very, very busy corporate, public and, and farming world. At core, that is uh, to do with my cardinal belief that a nation without sound culture is a nation without a soul. And at core of that soul is, um, amongst others, you know, what it is you tell by way of poetry, what it is you tell by way of music. And that music must go beyond uh, the music that is uh, somewhat repetitive and superficial and goes deep into jazz, goes deep into choral music that becomes classical music that has got messages. And those messages would uh, uh, cover an entire spectrum. It would cover the animal kingdom, how we learn lessons from uh, the animal kingdom and conservation through to motivational um, uh, music uh, that um, is based on very, very sound poetry. Uh, that challenges um, Africa as a continent, that challenges South Africa to rise up to a number of challenges, that is uh, also challenging of leadership. You know, a good number of the uh, my writings in leadership, my late cousin brother actually transformed into music. So that way you disseminate the value system in a manner, the value system and the culture. Because without culture, if you're not cultured, uh, in the wholesome sense of the word, you're not likely to be able to uh, contribute in a manner that says beyond self-serving, beyond uh, excessive dalliance with me, myself, and I to contributing optimally to the, to, the, to the community. So culture, broadly defined, including even the spirituality, because some of the songs he composed are spiritual songs, not spiritual in the narrow sense of a given religion like Christianity, but beyond that, all of these, I believe, serve to contribute to cultivate an environment where South Africa would behave like humanity is meant to be to behave. So there is a sense in which I believe uh, even that little uh, attempt at music is a contribution to nation building. Do you feel we back at a point where we can start building again? We've had a very destructive decade in South Africa. Are we at a point where we can look forward again? That's my sense. Uh, but, but unfortunately, destructive forces don't die overnight. There are those who benefited from uh, cronyism. There are those who benefited from corruption. There are those who benefited from looting. Uh, we were almost on the verge of kleptocracy, which is government by thieving. It was so pervasive. In fact, we're, I think we're perhaps just one or two steps um, before kleptocracy. Uh, so we were saved by, if you like, what happened at Nazarek last year. Uh, had we gone the other way, God forbid, I believe uh, we would be in the gutters. Um, given what is happening now under the Cyril Ramaphosa presidency, I want to believe that there is hope. Nations uh, have gone through uh, bad times and, and, and um, uh, good times, hence the concepts of a renaissance. Uh, Cyril talks about a new dawn. A new dawn is nothing but um, a renaissance of some description. So I want to believe that uh, there's a great deal that we can contribute as he provides that requisite thrust we as a, the rest of the nation must be aligned 
behind that thrust and be dedicated to, to building. And for that reason, I am hopeful that we will actually pull ourselves um, out of the gutters uh, by our own boots, straps, because uh, as a nation, I believe we do have boots and straps. Royal Kosa, thank you very much for joining us. Royal Kosa, deep thinker on issues of leadership, on issues of governance, issues of principles, and issues, of course, affecting the long-term sustainability of South Africa. R&B, solutionist thinking. For more on this series, visit 702.co.za.